Well, one of the stories of the week was the developing legal action between Lachlan Murdoch, News Corp's chief, and Crikey. Have a listen to its editor, Peter Frey, chat to my colleague Richard Aidey on RN Drive this week to gain a sense of what is at stake there in testing what the media can and can't say about people. But there's another key concern on the horizon too about media freedom, how it's affected by national security issues. Over the past two decades since 9-11 and in response to security issues in our region, Australia's legislated huge volumes of security laws that my first guest today argues unnecessarily limit the ability of journalists to investigate. The laws also expose journalists' sources to prosecution. The journalist activist Peter Grester has thought this through on various levels. He's a spokesman for the Alliance for Journalists' Freedom and, of course, knows firsthand about the importance of a free press. He'll suggest in a big speech this coming week that Australia should introduce a Media Freedom Act and a system of responsibility for journalists. Peter, welcome to Saturday Extra. Good morning, Geraldine. Um, Governments around the world have in introduce laws in response to threats like terrorism and foreign interference. What's wrong, in your opinion, with Australia doing the same? Nothing wrong with Australia doing the same. I recognise that we've got a lot of problems that need to be addressed. You know, changing security environment has meant that we need to update our legislation to, to meet those threats. But the trouble is that Australia, and not many people are aware of this, Australia doesn't have anything in our statutes or in our constitution that guarantees press freedom or freedom of speech. And so what's happened is that legislators haven't had to take haven't had any reason, any obligation to take uh, press freedom into account. And so they've passed a lot of very loosely framed legislation that I think if we're being generous, I'd say um, incidentally or accidentally criminalises a lot of otherwise legitimate journalism. A lot of the definitions around things like um, receipt of, of information or handling information um, is a, a, a so broad that it captures um, what in many circumstances would be considered as, as perfectly legitimate journalism. And um, around 2019, you might recall that we, we had the AFP raiding um, the offices of two news organisations, the ABC, of course, and News Corp. Um, and in the furor that followed that, um, a couple of people, including the New York Times, suggested that Australia might well be the world's most secretive democracy. We've had 92 separate pieces of legislation passed since 9-11, um, and, and in all sorts of ways, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them in various ways either restrict the work that journalists are able to do or expose their data to, um, to investigation or, or, as you mentioned earlier, risk their sources to, to being exposed. Um- so if if we can, and you're saying that we'd, we've done quite a lot more than other places, this, looking at this international We are not, not quite a lot. We are indisputably the world leaders in, in this. Um, we don't have any explicit protection of press freedom, as you say, in the Constitution. So is the balance between press freedom and security laws different when there is this fundamental principle enshrined in a Constitution? I suppose that's an important question. It, it, it's absolutely vital. And, and I think but the problem is that when you use that word balance, Geraldine, what it does is that it implies a zero-sum trade-off. It implies that if you have more of one, more press freedom perhaps, by definition you have less of the other, you have less security. And I don't think that is the right way to characterise it. You've got to remember that the whole point of security legislation is to protect not just our lives and property, 
um, but it's also to protect the integrity of our political system. And if the, the work of the, that the media does, if, if press freedom is, a, is an integral part of that political system, and we understand the, the media to be the fourth estate and holding the government and the powerful to account on behalf mm. of the voters, if we accept that to be true, then any legislation that undermines the ability of journalists to do that job is actually damaging the integrity of the political system. It's undermining security. Um, and, and I think we need to understand that while there's a necessary tension between these two ideas, they're not in opposition, and, and that in trying to protect Australia, we have to protect not just uh, our physical security, but, but also press freedom itself. I think you say in your speech that we have, uh, you call it, an infamous and hopelessly weak implied freedom of political information, uh, communication, uh, but that it's actually, uh, it's not a positive um, a protection, it's just a restraint on legislative overreach. That, that's what you can infer from, from a reading of the Constitution. Is that right? That's right, and it doesn't work as a particularly effective restraint on legislative overreach. And we've seen on countless occasions that implied uh, right of political communication fall away um, when it comes to... To, when it comes up against more solidly drawn legislation, I mean, the AB, the uh, police that um, the, the the warrant that the police used to raid the ABC back in 2019 on the Afghan file series on the Afghan mm. file series exactly um, was um, using um, a, a statute in the Crimes Act that made it a, an offence to receive stolen Commonwealth property, and the ABC challenged the validity of the warrant using that implied right of political communication. Although I disagree with what the, the, the judge said, um, he ultimately declined the ABC's um, application because he said, look, I can't throw out a perfectly validly written um, a, 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 um, search warrant on the basis of some vaguely inferred um, right of political communication. It just I doesn't see. work. Yes. Well, would you say... So those stories were published in 2017 and, of course, they did give us unprecedented insights into the activities of the... the alleged activities of the SAS. Could that story now be published under current laws, by the way? No, I don't think it could. Um, the Espionage Act was passed in 2019 and the Espionage Act says that it is an offence to receive... or to, sorry, to, yeah, to receive um, information... Um, and that means passively receiving. So the ABC or any other journalist simply answering a telephone call in which the, someone says that I've got some classified information that I want to pass on to you um, or opens up an envelope that has that information is technically in violation of the law. Um, there is a defence uh, for public interest. If the, the media knows or if the journalists know that the, the, the story that they're working on um, is genuinely in the public interest, then there is a legitimate defence. But that definition of public interest is hopelessly vague. And it's perfectly possible to argue in the case of, of the Afghan file story that there's a public interest in protecting confidence um, in, in the work of our, of our special forces. You know, you can interpret that, that idea in so many ways. And I think we, you know, we know from experience that, that, yeah. <laughs> that the law will be applied in, in ways that favour the government. And are you saying that, let's say, if the journalist then, having received information, then goes on the front foot, as it were, and seeks people out, then you're really getting into tricky territory, are you? You're getting into extremely tr tricky territory. You know, it's, a, it's an offence under the Espionage Act to, um, to publish or handle information 
um, that undermines or damages or harms Australia's uh, national interests. And, and that means that anything that deals with our foreign affairs or, or international trade is, again, technically um, in violation of the law. And so it's a very, Which is, of very course, what we saw played for, out in the whole Bernard Collieri case. It's exactly we? what we saw yeah. played out in that case. It's also what... There's another story that I can think of. Um, the Guardian published a few years back a story about how that was uh, from, um, I think, some of the, um, the uh, NSA leaks from Edward Snowden revealed that um, Australian spy agencies were bugging the phone of, of uh, the Indonesian president. Um, and that caused a, a diplomatic furor at the time, um, very clearly undermined Australia's national interest. And so that story would have been in violation of, of the Espionage Act. And, and Peter, while it's hard to prove a negative, do you know whether outlets are choosing not to go ahead with stories that rely on linked information and, and that might be in the public interest? We do. Um, uh, the University of Queensland, my colleagues over there, have been doing some research that uh, exposed, or reveals very clearly that, that uh, a lot of news editors are shutting down investigations because they can't guarantee the, to protect the identity of their sources. We know that they're shutting down investigations because they're making considered calculations that even though they're, they're confident that the story is justified, that they will probably end up in court and that the costs of a court case simply don't justify the risks involved. Um, or justify publishing the story. We also know that whistleblowers themselves are getting increasingly nervous and in many cases are withdrawing from, from their contact with journalists. I mean, it's hard to see whistleblowers looking at the experience of, the, of people like Bernard Collieri or Richard Boyle um, and others who have gone through absolute hell, who've, lost, who've, had their, who've blown up their careers, who've, who've um, been vilified and, and persecuted themselves and think, well, that's a great idea. That's the kind of thing that I'm, I'm, I want to do. You know, it, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to protect our sources, and this is why we're calling for, for legislative change. Well, yeah, and as you say, there's always going to be a tension between these various institutions in a functioning democracy, but um, a Media Freedom Act, that's what you're proposing, what would it achieve? How would it work? Well, the Media Freedom Act would do three things. It would work very elegantly. We, we don't think there's ne it's necessary to go through and tweak every statute and put some kind of media freedom defence in there. What we are saying is that it should do three things. It should compel legislators to consider media freedom whenever they're, they're writing new legislation. It should uh, compel the courts to privilege press freedom in any case that involves journalists and it should also compel civil servants to act in ways that support press freedom. Now that's not a new idea, it's exactly the way that the Human Rights Acts work in Queensland and the ACT. Um, and so we're, we're not breaking new ground here, um, but I think that is an elegant solution that would provide a lot of extra top cover for journalists in doing their jobs. I mean, there have been parliamentary inquiries into these laws and how they interact with what's really become the news diet of Australians. Did they conclude that the laws affected reporting? Did they also look at a Media Freedom Act? They, well, they haven't considered a Media Freedom Act. We've proposed it and we know that a, that a few people are thinking about it, but no one's really got it on the agenda, which is why we're actually drafting one ourselves and we're hoping to, to um, offer it up to a couple of willing uh, politicians to see what happens. But 
Um, we think that, that there was clear recognition that the law needed changing. After the um, AFP raids, there were two parliamentary inquiries, one by the PJCIS, the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, and another by the Senate, and both concluded that there needed to be very sweeping legislative um, and regulatory reform to make the systems work. Now, I, I, you know, we can have a longer conversation about whether those, those recommendations were appropriate. I don't think they went far enough. But what they did was recognise that there is a very urgent problem that does need work to be fixed. And look, finally, you are also proposing a system of accreditation for journalists, uh, Peter. Why so? Not accreditation. We're calling it certification because what we think is what we think is that there should be a system of voluntary certification. If the government comes to the party with um, a Media Freedom Act, we think that the news industry also needs to come part of the way in identifying those journalists that are working to a standard. I need to backtrack a little bit here, Geraldine, and mention that the, one of the problems with the Media Freedom Act is working out who it should apply to, and we're constantly <laughs> asked who, who is a journalist, and I think that's the wrong approach. I think we need to rethink how we do it. We need to define not who is a journalist, because in this digital era everyone with a mobile phone can technically be a publisher. Um, but we should be defining the process of journalism, which is really what underpins the work that we look at when we open up newspapers or switch on the BBC or the ABC. We, it, it's, it's journalism that is bound by a set of uh, conventions and, and generally understood processes. Um, it should have a commitment to accuracy, to fairness, to balance and so on. And there should be a process of accountability within that. So, again, that's not a new idea. There's, within the Victorian Evidence Act, there's a piece of legislation that says that a journalist should be accountable to comply through a complaints process to a recognised um, recognised code of conduct. And I think if we use that definition in law, we can also use that definition as a way of setting up a system of voluntary certification so that journalists who are recognised as meeting those standards can be certified in advance and get the get what we call the rebuttable uh, presumption um, in law that they are actually working as a journalist. So it therefore falls to the prosecutor to demonstrate that um, the journalist is failing in their professional obligations and when, they're, when they're brought before the law under, under any kind of piece of uh, national security legislation. The point um, is that it also allows the public to identify work that is produced up to, up to professional standard. Um, and it's a system that doesn't mean that if you're not certified, you can't work. Um, it's a voluntary system. We can't allow the government to, to control who is and who is not a journalist. But what we're trying to do is figure out a way of, of holding journalists to a, a set of standards, but also allowing that set of standards to define who is a journalist under the law. And I think those three things, a Media Freedom Act and a system of certification and the two joined together by a definition of journalism as a process, allows us to create a system that won't solve all of our problems, but I think will we'll go a long way towards very, improving the situation. Very, very interesting. Very interesting and demanding challenge. Peter Grester, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Geraldine. Peter Grester from the Alliance for Journalists' Freedom and he's giving that big speech this coming week. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.